Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me I had bipolar. I was sent home with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using loud music as a form of therapy. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. I was recently diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity. Add that to my bipolar diagnosis, and I've been a bit bummed the past few weeks. Then I talked to Jason Hamaker, drummer from the metal hardcore band Zealot R.I.P. I was relieved when he told me his story. He refers to himself as high-functioning ADHD, and has been able to harness his condition into many different projects, including music. From the readings I've done, ADHD isn't just about a lack of focus, it's also too much focus both of which can cause people to be easily distracted, have scattered thoughts, and experience comprehension issues. The trick is to harness all those things and use them to your advantage. Jason's pounded the skins in a number of Washington, D.C. punk and hardcore bands, including Battery and Decahedron, with Joe Lally of Fugazi. Had to sneak that in there. Besides music, Jason's also a photographer and documentarian, and even worked in Syria with an Orthodox church. Next time I'm sitting in front of my computer, wondering what the hell I'm supposed to be doing, because ADHD. I'm going to think about this conversation with Jason. My name is Jason Hamaker. I currently play drums in the band Zealot R.I.P. here in Washington, D.C. In the past, I've played drums in Combat Wounded Veteran, the Straight Edge Band Battery, Frodus, Decahedron, Regents. I think that's most of my roster. Yeah, I live in D.C. I'm in my mid-40s. I am a functioning, I guess that's always kind of to be determined by others, but in my head. I am a functioning ADHD individual. And so like lots of things, it can be a blessing. I don't think it's ever a curse, but it could be an anchor or something that's a little bit more scattered. Has it ever been, I don't want to use the word curse, but obviously a detriment, maybe especially when you first were diagnosed? So I have never been officially clinically diagnosed. And let me explain what that means. When Frodus and Battery broke up, which is a little, you know, a little bit over 20 years ago, I ended up kind of pursuing some natural healing arts and became a massage therapist. And I still am. I've been a massage therapist. This will be my 20th year coming up. And one of my clients is a very renowned psychologist. And years ago, and you know, it's one of those things like being ADHD definitely lends itself to being on tour. 
you're in a van, except when you're driving 10 hours or 20 hours or whatever, but yeah. like you're somewhere new every day, you're dealing with new people every day. It lends itself to developing, for me, developing the strengths of having that kind of mindset. But when that ended on a full-time level and I ended up dating and having a wife who was polar opposite, super type A, everything's completely organized. It really started to wear on her. I asked my client, can you diagnose me? Are you allowed? And he was like, I'm technically not allowed to diagnose you because I'm your client, but I'm going to ask you eight or nine questions. The checklist. And you let me, yeah, here's the <laughs> checklist. It was basically everything on the checklist except one question. He's like, unofficially, you're officially, you know? <laughs> and so it kind of helps me understand where I'm coming from. I am not medicated. I may, should be, I don't know. But it really was a problem for my wife. We function in opposite worlds. I joke around and say, you know, I thrive in small piles of paper, you know, like, <laughs> but I know where everything is. I can go through a stack of paper and here's a really good example. Like I ended up doing all this documentary work in the Middle East. So I did all this work in Syria. I have stacks of business cards and receipts from up to 16 years ago. And I can go through this pile and tell you exactly where they are, where I got them, every, every story about them, because they're in some sort of order. When the piles get rearranged, then it totally throws my internal catalog. So when you say functioning, what does that mean to you? Where is the line between functioning and not functioning? It's actually not my line. It's what I think other people would tell me. It takes my wife to basically throw the lasso around me. And she's, she's like, I'm the only person that can be like, hey, you need to focus. I need to reshift your focus. You know, I need you to do something else. It's not that I'm in a room spinning out, wondering like why I can't get things done. You know, one of the telltale examples is like, I can hyper-focus, get whatever done for this very specific sliver of thing. And sometimes... I spend too much attention on A and I should be spending much more attention on everything else. And I have to do it, you know, like <laughs> yeah. have to. And then my wife will sometimes be like, you actually don't have to. There's other things that you could be doing. You don't have to do this one. <laughs> I think a really big misconception. I mean, I had it before I was diagnosed as well, that ADHD is about a lack of focus when in fact, it's also about a very defined focus. Yeah. Some people say too much focus, well, hyper-focus. And then the challenge, of course, is to harness that and pull it from, I can't focus, to then, okay, let's focus, but not hyper-focus, somewhere in that middle zone of quote-unquote yeah. normal focus. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, it just takes one thing to, like, knock you off track. About a month ago, my wife fell exercising, wildly broke her ankle which then it's kind of like the hard reset, like, okay, focus on her, done. Are you the person that plans ahead for months and years on something and then something comes no. up? No, I mean, I do plan ahead loosely. I've really learned to trust my intuition about when I need to kind of make something happen as opposed to just conceptually know it needs to happen and then go for it. 
Most of the time it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I am not regimented enough to, I'm far more conceptual in my planning. Drumming, is it the hyperfocus that is helpful for the drumming? Is it the fact that you can go into a flow state and forget about all the ADHD symptoms? What's funny is Zealot's one of the heaviest, hardest bands I've ever been in. I'm in my mid forties. So it's like, there's like all these adult friends that I have that don't know me at all from music that are just like, Hey, we're going to come see your show next week. I'm like, Hey, prepare yourself. (laughs) I'm not the same person when I'm playing drums. It's like my outlet. And so it is the one thing where it's not about focus. I mean, I'm definitely focused when I play, but it's also about cathartic experience the super talkative all smiles jason hamaker is sometimes the guy that's not playing drums i may look really pissed off i may throw my drums at you you never know what's going to happen part of it's like just being theatrical and fun trying to do something and the other part is just you know i've always hit the drums really hard and that's my approach you know i'm not some technical master i mean i can play but I'm more about expression of force than I am about being technically proficient. And sometimes that's great. Sometimes it just doesn't work. (laughs) Usually we can leave a show and feel confident that at least the audience had a good time. (laughs) It sounds like you're going into more of a flow state that you're not getting that hyper-focused on every little. Yeah, yeah, definitely not hyper-focused at all. And how does it feel to go into that state? I don't know. I've never actually thought about it as like kind of entering or exiting. It's just playing. But I mean, I guess it is, you know, sitting down behind the drums and it's relieving, but like, it's also, I'm aware that it's not a studio recording either. There needs to be a little bit of umph. I don't hit nearly as hard in studio as I do live. It's my purge valve. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's always been like that. Even back when you first started playing, you've been a hard hitter. Yeah. Like forever. You mentioned before about the punk scene and getting into it. It sounded like you had a pretty different experience than a lot of folks. I got into punk through metal. I lived in Florida and I was not really picked on at high school. Like I was not an outcast. Nine times out of 10, I'm the different one, but I'm not an outcast. For example, when we were doing battery, almost everyone in battery was highly anti-religious. I grew up the son of a Baptist minister. You know, I've struggled with faith my whole life, but categorized myself as a believer. What do I believe? I'm not really sure. That's a whole different conversation. (laughs) But my point to that, I was the Christian kid surrounded by like super anti-religious people. It didn't affect how we operated day to day or our friendship or anything like that. But like when I moved to, when I say DC, I moved to Fairfax, Virginia in the outskirts. My high school was like 5,000 people. I think I was the only actual X on the hand straight edge kid out of 5,000. Now I wasn't ridiculed for it. I would go to parties with all of my friends and they were drinking beer and stealing kegs and, you know, like totally high school style. But I was the other kid, you know, the opposite kid. Even now, with all the stuff that I do as an adult, I'm normally the exception. 
not the normal, which I've kind of figured out. That's just how I am. I think part of that is the ADD component of my existence, but it took a long time. And so when I first got into hardcore, it was a used record store and I would go in and buy, you know, thrash tapes, you know, Sepultura Creator. And yep. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> all these like weirder German thrash bands. And I didn't have m- enough money for a tape and they had some seven inches. So I ended up getting Uniform Choice and maybe Inside Out or something like that. It was 1990. The guy was like, if you like fast stuff, this stuff's really fast, but it's not the same. And I was not drawn to the lyrics of any metal band. You know, <laughs> it's like all the imagery, the satanic imagery, the, the witchcraft, or even the political imagery, I wasn't really that into, but I really resonated with a lot of the hardcore lyrics, just kind of pouring over them, like Gorilla Biscuits in particular. And was hooked. And so as I found that there was this music that had the aggression of my teenage self, but was also positive, then I was really into it. And so it's been however many years that is, 30 something years. How I'm rem- how I am remembered and how I remember others as well, you know, which is pretty fascinating. For someone that's dealing with some of these symptoms we talked about earlier, uh, I know that for me, I went through the checklist and all of a sudden I'm like, well, okay, I'm 48 and now here's this thing. I'm already dealing with bipolar and now there's something else. From your experience, when did that all start? Are we talking youth, early adulthood? When I was a kid, I get tested for stuff all the time. And tests are also weird. It's this kind of empirical, here's the metric of what you are. And I was always like, one in or one out, <laughs> you know, like almost. There was a book that I have two kids, one's 11, one's eight. There was a book that came out around the time of my 11-year-old called Nurture Shock. 10 or 11 groundbreaking scientific studies on human development that received virtually no press coverage because it's the new cycle, you know? There was one basically about praising kids at an early age for being smart versus praising them for being hard workers. And it was a 40-year study where they started in third grade and followed these kids into adulthood and overwhelmingly the kids that were technically smarter but praised for being smart over the course of their life did not perform as well or make as much money as kids that were encouraged to work harder as i'm reading this trying to come up with a roadmap for becoming a parent i'm like oh my god this is me it was weird to a t i've always been the person that's you're so smart blah 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 There is something about me that anytime something starts to become like an organized event, I leave, I bounce out. I don't have an explanation of it, 
it's kind of like inner contrarian in me as well. Like same thing with like big shows, big festivals. I'm not phobic in the least, but there's something about when a ton of people are doing something or listening to a band, my gut reaction is to not diss the band, but just not participate with whatever that like kind of ethos is at the moment. That kind of reverts back to when I was a kid, I would like hyper focus. Like when I started playing drums, perfect example, when I wanted to buy my first double bass drum pedal so I could attempt to play <laughs> <laughs> Master of Puppets or Blackened by Metallica, I subscribed to Modern Drummer Magazine and I would call all of these stores all over the United States driving down everyone's price <laughs> as like a seventh grader until I felt like I was getting the most deal. And it wasn't one or two times. It was like a long time. And my parents just thought it was entertaining. I was like, I'm saving the family money. But looking back, I was like, oh, that's hyper focus. And it like, I think in the end, it kind of led to who I became. I can talk to almost any human about anything with fairly confidence, not get hurt. <laughs> There have definitely been times like I have a very emotional recollection of I did not go to college. I tried. I went to community college and then Frodus and Battery really kind of kicked it up and I left school. But just forcing myself, forcing myself to try to finish assignments, I could not finish. I can't describe the feeling, but it feels like something in my chest listening to flotsam and jetsam trying to like <laughs> finish a school report struggling to finish it and then putting it down and then let me see if testament can do it you know <laughs> like, <laughs> a much superior band to flotsam and jetsam just by the way 100 <laughs> percent. everything you said resonates with me so much the contrarian yeah. idea of not being comfortable in larger events and stuff like that. But also I'm thinking about what you just said and I have to do everything with music. So when I'm writing, when I'm doing anything, I have to have music enabled to shut my brain off on that side yeah. to do my writing. And people say, well, how the hell do you write? I'm writing a book about the same topic as the podcast. How do you do that yeah. with music? And it's usually Napalm Death or... <laughs> A band like yours, where it's just screamy and or pig destroyer, and yeah. for me, that's what I need to shut off. Pretty interesting. As a parent, I've been concerned: how are my kids going to discover music? I didn't want to be the parent. It's like, here's a record. Here's my record collection. Don't worry about the artwork. Listen to anything. The last thing I wanted to do is have my kids. There's not a whole lot they can rebel against with my wife and I. And the last thing I want it to be is my music. So they've only seen me play live twice. They know I play in a band. They know all of that stuff. But I was just like, you know, we don't drive in the car very much. We live in the city. The process of discovering music does not exist like it did when I was a kid. It was actually really funny. We put a radio in my son's room. He was probably about five he just turned into the like Christian rock praise channel on the <laughs> FM. And I was like, God, this music totally sucks. I'm pulling the radio out. <laughs> it wasn't that extreme, but we couldn't garner the real interest with the FM dial. 
maybe if I do a Spotify playlist, kids account in some fashion, that can kind of work. And I did it with my daughter and she started to really listen to music, but not really. About two months ago, it kicked in with my son. It's been fascinating to just see that kind of develop in him. He is very similar to me. To walk out the door without a shoe on. Put your other shoe on. <laughs> You're going to school. He's like, oh, okay. I can see a little version of myself. We can make him stop listening to music, but I want to see what happens if he listens to it and does homework too. Maybe it shuts it off like it does for me and you. I don't know. There's a little bit more awareness with our generation and the kids versus my parents' generation and us. Do you talk to folks in the music scene about your own challenges and potentially that they're talking to you about theirs? Is that an open exchange? Yes and no. It's not as purposeful as that. It usually is like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm like, got ADD. I'll get back to you. (laughs) All of the things that I've tried, like I've tried organizing software. I've tried all sorts of things like project management, all of that stuff. And I will do it for three days and then it goes out the window. And then I just function the way I function. And I can pull all kinds of stuff off. I'm not being un productive but it's just like when my volume of production is really high and i have two books in the process an lp all these other art exhibits i've got the band i've got the family what i've noticed is when the volume of production increases then as it increases it creates kind of more pressure and i get less productive my ADD intensifies mm-hmm. with the larger volumes of stuff. So I'm proactively trying to go through and just knock off stuff of my to-do list. But they're all mental to-do lists. <laughs> it's not an actual list. I'm the same way. I can't do paper lists. I do it for, like you said, three days and then I forget about it. And then I go back yeah. eight months later and find this piece of paper or this notebook. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, I was supposed to be doing lists every day and that was... When it comes down to it, we all do things differently. For me, there's a lot of pressure to do things as they're supposed to be. Yes. I've heard Ian McKay talk a lot about just doing what's in front of him. Get up in the morning. I'm going to do what's in front of me. I make my priority. And that's how I've been living the last, well, since, you know, the bipolar diagnosis three years ago. That breaks you down. But then now that I've built it back up, well, do I have to do this thing right now? Can I go for a walk instead? Can I go for a swim? Can I go downstairs and play guitar? What's the deadline here? I have these self-imposed deadlines. It's due in three months, but I got to do it this week. I don't have self-imposed deadlines. I have very real deadlines and then an understanding of knowing how I can produce, knowing when I have to kick into gear. Does that make sense? Yeah. For example, like I've got this big old box set with Smithsonian Folkways that's been in production for 15 years. It's part me, part them. And so... They just released a 10 LP box set on the history of hip hop. And everyone from the hip hop world was involved with it. And that derailed this big project I've had for at least six, seven years. And then it's done. That project is out. And so now it's on me. I'm getting active emails like, hey, we need this contract. We need this. I'm like the record producer as well as the engineer and art for all of it too. I have to 
make it happen now. I know there's certain things I have to do to get it to the end line. The finish line has not been determined yet. I work really well under pressure to a certain degree. And so for me, it's more about knowing when something actually needs to get done and kind of doing a couple things beforehand and then hyper-focused to make it happen. We talked about blessing and a curse and it's hard not to think about things like this as being a curse for me bipolar is just getting into the blessing side but of course whenever i have a depressive episode well then it's it's the fucking curse right (laughs) right how is that for you well i mean part of the curse part of the negative aspect of being myself is that most people do one or two things They have a very clear professional path. They have a hobby and then they may or may not have a family and they have what they like to watch on television. (laughs) Someone's like, what do you do? When is what I normally say as a joke. (laughs) The list is very long. And so from a professional standpoint, if someone really wants to know what I do, I usually just say lots of things, just not try to get into it. And then if they really press, then it becomes weird. I have a construction company. I run an art gallery. I'm a professional photographer. I'm a massage therapist for 20 years. I play music and metal bands, do work with a lot of embassies. It's just like, it is a high volume of things. And there's a very public trail of things that I've done. It sounds like I'm lying until someone really wants to look into it. And so... Part of that alluding to earlier, that's not normal. It's not like I do one thing on this day and one thing. It's like kind of everything all at once. Float in and out of what's taking more precedence over another. I'm okay with it. But what I've realized over the years is it makes other people feel either uncomfortable or it questions what they do with their lives. And then the conversation gets super weird because then they become self-conscious because of what I have just told them. Someone asked me yesterday what I do, and I was feeling irritable, having irritability (laughs) symptoms. I just said I breathed. (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally get that. That's what I meant by blessing and your curse. Like, because I'm, I function like this, I do all these different things. I do these things that I am interested in and have developed a professional life that allows for me to function the way that I normally function, the way that I thrive and function. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Scream Therapy. I'm coming to you from Powell River, a small coastal town in British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional territory of the Klohomin Nation. Doing this podcast and talking to other folks living with mental health challenges has been a huge part of my journey. It means the world to me that you're out there listening. You can sign up for my newsletter and find more episodes at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. That's ScreamTherapyHQ.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Let's talk punk and mental health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care and be well. If you don't